Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Carsonson continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. Joshua takes the Israelites into the promised land. It's a moment of celebration, but also raises some moral dilemmas. For example, is it okay to lie if telling the truth will hurt, even kill someone? And how do the events in Joshua line up with Jesus forgiving sins? These are hard questions, but worth meditating on. After the message, read the book of Joshua. Also, check out nwhills.com slash hub, H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. Man, uh, my name is Josh Carsonson, uh, lead pastor here. We are in a series that we started in the beginning of September. Uh, we are calling it What is Going On? It is getting after the broader question of looking around uh, both culture, both kind of in the Christian church world movement uh, of how did we get here? What is happening? It's a question that I find myself asking more than I want to, um, but it's also kind of part of that is how do we go on? How do we go forward? And, and this is personal too. Very often in our own lives, we ask ourselves the question, what is going on? Uh, I had one of these great moments this, uh, I guess it's two weeks ago now. Um, my, our family, we've been wanting a hot tub for a long time, and I bought an inflatable one at Costco, which is just hilarious, first of all. Like, I'm setting this thing up by myself, laughing the whole time. Like, this is so ghetto. First of all, it's like this big. Like, I can kind of fit in it. And it's great if you're by yourself or with your wife. Like, it's amazing. But when you're sitting in here and all of a sudden, like, all three of your kids who are under 10 want to jump into the hot tub too, you find yourself regularly going, what is happening right now? What is going on? And this is my life. And thank you, Whitney, my middle daughter. You just cannonball right in. And it's greatly appreciated. Um, but we're, we're looking at the broader question of where is God in all this? Like, where is he? When we look around and, and whether it's like all the tension in the world, whether it's, you know, war or politics or just, you know, social unrest, like, does God know what he's doing? Right? D- does he? Or is he just kind of sitting back going like, huh, I wonder what's going to happen with Ukraine right now? Right? I, I, I wonder what's going to happen with this potential Ebola outbreak in Uganda right now. Um, I wonder what's going to happen with this next election cycle or, you know, all the questions that we might have, right? And we have a lot of them. Is God just sitting back saying, huh, I wonder how that relationship's going to work out? Or is God actively moving and working in all things, right? To bring about good for those who love him, right? We have agency. We know this. We have choices. I, I can make free will choices. Like God has given me the ability to do that. But he's also at the same time moving and working all things together. And so how does God do that? And where have we come from? And where are we going? And ultimately, we are getting after looking at the whole story of who God is, how he has revealed himself to us through his word, because we haven't changed. Right? You know, we, we may feel like, oh man, we are in such a unique season and time in history. And God would just kind of chuckle at that and go like, you're a human and so were humans thousands and thousands of years ago. You have the same problems, right? Like I'm sure some ancient person said, I found a hot spring and now all my children are like in this hot spring. It's really frustrating. Like the, our problem, like that's not a real problem. But the reality is like God, God knows what he's doing. 
and we're, we're studying what he's doing, and we're trying to do it in like a very particular, um, like very systematic, we're going through the entire Bible in one year, which is a beast of a project. I get it. Now, how many of you, just being honest, are like tired of reading already this year? Looks like four people have actually started the plan. <laughs> um, right? Like, so the invitation here this year has been an invitation that on Sundays, like, um, our preaching team, myself and some other people, we will preach a book, and then we would ask you to read the book the next week. And we understand it's a tall order. I mean, especially these first five weeks. Like, I think, I, I don't know the ratio, but just looking at it in my Bible, I think in the first five weeks, we've probably covered a good, I don't know, one-seventh, one-sixth of the Bible, maybe one-tenth, I don't know, 10%, somewhere in there. But we're reading a lot. We're plowing through. And so thank you for holding in there with us. And um, today we get to the book of Joshua. Um, I like the book. I've never preached from the book of Joshua. It's my first sermon ever in Joshua, which is weird because it's my name. You'd think I'd really like it. But um, it's, it's interesting, too, because as we get to this book, you know, the book of Genesis covers thousands of years. It's really, really long. But from Exodus all the way to Joshua, it's just 41 years. And so we cover a whole lot of ground, right? You go Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and it's hundreds of pages long in your Bible. You would think we're covering a long time. When in reality, most of those hundreds of pages are really just one year, the year after this people group was freed from slavery in Egypt, and a small portion of that, the second half of Numbers, them wandering around for 40 years. So let me catch us up just briefly to where we are today, and we're going to see what God was doing, and it's going to cause a lot of questions today. And we're going to wrestle with the tension of who God is. We're going to wrestle with the nature and character of God, because there are sometimes when you open up your Bible and you look at it and you go, man, is this really a God worth following? Right? Is this a God that I want to worship? And sometimes we ask ourselves the question, is this the same God? Because we see different activity of how God is moving and working throughout different seasons. And sometimes our mind wants to go, this is not the same person. Because how can you die on the cross and say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And then today we're going to see God just clearing out whole groups of people, annihilating men, women, and children. Like, and we have to be honest with that. And we can't say as Christians, oh, well, maybe it really wasn't that bad. And you know, like, we have to just wrestle with that text and say, who are you, God? And what were you doing? Because there really is an answer as we're going to work through it today. And so today where we are in this kind of story of this people group, like I said, is 41 years after uh, 400 years of slavery. They're still at the edge of this place where God promised he would take them. And, and we're going to see the passing of the baton, like we saw last week, from Moses to Joshua. Right? So you got a few million people. God has promised them, I'm going to give you this land. But your former leader couldn't go in. He didn't follow me like he ought to. He didn't obey me all the time. And so Joshua is going to be your new leader. And we're going to see the first half of this book. They're going to go into this land, and they are going to clear it out. And you're going to read this week, and it's a hard book to read. It's again, it's one of those books you read and you're just like, man, this, this does not feel great. And the second part of the book is them divvying up the land and Joshua saying, okay, this tribe gets this land and this tribe gets this and it's kind of monotonous and it's kind of boring, but you can get through it. It'll be worth it. 
But ultimately, what we're going to look at today is two different parts. We're going to look at what this commission to Joshua was all about. Because God commissions him as the baton is passed from Moses to Joshua. We're going to see that commission ultimately going back to a command that Moses gave in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And then we're going to look at this big picture of what does it mean to have a God who does things that are really uncomfortable for us. And so we're going to look at that nature and character of God. But um, real quick, at the end of Deuteronomy... Moses, right before he's about to die, right before the people who are about to go into the land, he gives this charge, and we kind of gave this charge last week, and um, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 15. uh, Moses is preaching, this whole book is, is a few different sermons, and he's preaching, and he's closing it up, and he says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping all of his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. This is verse 17. But if your heart turns away, And you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. And then he gives this charge in verse 19. He says, see, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. And last week we talked about this charge for what it means for us to choose life and how that's incredibly important. Like to choose life. And it's this kind of broad, beautiful, poetic, like this movie-like scene. And, and today we're going to look at what does it mean to actually choose life? Right? What does that mean? Because it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to choose life and I'm going I'm to follow the Lord. But what does following God look like? What is obedience really all about? At the end of the day, we're going to look at a word, the word obey, and it's, it's an awful word and it's an amazing word, right? It's a hard word, but God's going to just lay this out very clearly in his commissioning to Joshua in the very beginning in chapter one, verse one. He's just going to lay it out and say, this is what it looks like to obey me. This is what it looks like to follow me. And so we're going to pick it up right there. If you are able, I'm going to ask that you would stand and we're going to read just the very first part of chapter one in verse one. And um, our Ron King has been asking me for weeks, potentially months, to put the words up on the screen. And you can thank him for that. Um, thank you. You're welcome, Ron. And it's really crazy because I even have a couple of notes up there as well today. So we'll see how long this lasts. Um, here we go. When I'm done, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. And we're going to say thanks be to God. This is Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. 
Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. God makes it very clear in this commission to Joshua. Just as Moses made it clear to the people, he said, hey, I'm laying before you life and death. I'm laying before you what a life of obedience looks like to me and what it doesn't look like. And so I'm calling you today to obey me. And listen to this. He says this in verse 1a, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will succeed. This is very clear. And again, we we said this last week, but we live in a different time. We, We aren't under the same covenant, but the same general principle is true, right? When we obey, life goes so much better because we bring life, right? When we act as the way God has called and commissioned us to act, we bring God's love and joy and restoration and forgiveness and peace and joy to the world. And when we don't, right? When we live and we say, God, I I thank you for your recommendation on how to live, but I'm going to do my own thing, which we're really good at. When we live how we want to, what do we bring? Why? We, we tear down relationships. We eliminate trust, right? We bring hardship. We bring stress. We bring anxiety. We bring depression. When we don't follow the Lord like we ought to, we bring all kinds of things. Ultimately, we bring death, and God's going to call us, hey, I want you to obey me because it's so much better. You bring in the kingdom when you obey me. And what we're going to see today is his command, and he makes it very clear. He's going to say, hey, when you obey me, it starts with knowing me, And to know me is to chew on my word again and again and again. And we see this. He makes it very clear. He has a whole list of imperatives. You got to do this, right? He says, don't turn to the right hand or to the left. Do not let this book depart from your mouth. Meditate it on it day and night, right? Sometimes I think if I'm Joshua and I'm like, I I was with them when the Red Sea was parted and and I'm one of the spies who came back and was like, hey, we can do this and and God's commissioning me. Like part of me thinks, I don't know that I need to be in the Bible every day. I know the Lord. I know he's with me, right? I know the general idea of what it means to be a follower of God. Like, do I really need to be in it every single day? And God's telling Joshua, no, you need to be in this every single day. Meditate on it day and night, day and night, right? This is the primary reason that the majority of what we do here as a church is we open up God's word, right? We're not just a church who's going to come here and talk about the latest geopolitics. We're not just going to come here and talk about all the problems with whatever workspace, this and that. We're going to open up God's word and say, God, who are you and what do you have to say? Right? I, I've talked to many people. I mean, this is a regular conversation who will come to me and they'll say, man, I was at this other church, but after a few months, them never opening up the Bible, I thought, I got to get out of there. And I give them a yes and amen, and we will preach God's word here. 
right? Like we have to be a people who are hungry to hear God's word. We will not obey it unless we perpetually put it in front of us. And we just need reminders again, again, and again. And if you're like me, I need a daily reminder, right? We constantly need this. But we're going to see throughout the book of Joshua, we're going to see what happens when we try to obey. Because it's not always easy. Obedience is not easy, right? So when God commissions Joshua and he says, obey me, obey me, obey me. If you do, it's going to bring blessing Right? If you don't, you're going to bring death. We're going to see what is up with this obedience because it's not as simple. It's not as simple as just saying, oh man, I, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to make a conscious choice and then here on out, I'm going to obey him. So we're going to look at a bunch of different facets of what it means to obey God. And then we're going to look at the nature and character of God as seen through the annihilation of all this people. So let's look. I got four points. They'll be up on here for this first part, looking at obedience. Um, the first thing in the book of Joshua that we're going to see about obedience is that it's not always obvious, right? Obedience isn't always obvious. In chapter two, we're going to read this story right before they go into this land, right before they cross the river into this great place that God has promised them. Um, Joshua sends out a couple of different spies and they go and they check out this land and they go and they stay at a prostitute's house, which is a little bit weird. I mean, I just like the report back home, like, hey, wife had a good time, stayed at this hooker's house. Like, it just seems weird, unnecessary, but here they are. They're at this woman's house and her name's Rahab and she's going to be significant. You'll find out here towards the end of the sermon. And they're at her house and the king finds out that there were spies that were in the land. And the king wants to, find, he wants to detain them, obviously, because he thinks that they're going to be up to no good, which clearly they were. And um, the, the infamous like ethical dilemma, they knock on the door and they ask her, do you have any spies with you? Right? It's the old question in Nazi Germany. Are you hiding any Jews? It's the same ethical dilemma, right? So she has a couple of different options. Either A, she can lie, right? And the Bible clearly teaches, don't lie. We just learned that in the law. Leviticus 19.11 is very clear. Do not lie. But what happens if she lies? If she lies and says they're not here, then there's an opportunity for them to escape and for them to do the things that they want to do, right? But if she tells the truth, they get found out, right? But God's big enough, right? Like if they get found out and they get thrown in jail, can't God like release them from jail and can't they still do the things that they want to do? She has this really hard ethical choice. Do I lie or do I tell the truth? You know, you think about your life and I think about my life and, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to paint this picture and say, I'm going to be obedient to God. Well, that's not always simple. It's not always easy to know, like, what am I supposed to do? Right? I, I talk to people regularly, whether it's like thinking about work. You think about this in, in all of our careers. At some point, all of us work um, in broken workplaces, even the church. Right? And at what point is it like, man, is my work so bad that I have to leave? Right? Because there's gray lines everywhere. Like, if we are purposefully, you know, um, misinterpreting data, is this a place that I should work for? Right? And there's a gray line somewhere in there. Like, how bad does it need to be? Or you think about other dilemmas, like, um, you know, you think about how much monitoring should I do of my kids? Right? Should I monitor all of their cell phone usage? Should I, should I know where they are every second all the time? Like I'm supposed to care for my kid and I'm supposed to oversee them, but sometimes like that's hard. We don't know all the right answers for that. This last week we were um, having a parent-teacher conference and as we're kind of wrapping things up, the, the teacher says to us, she says, yeah, I'm about to teach our kids about when and how to lie appropriately. And I'm thinking like, go on? Like... <laughs> 
I know I signed up for public school, but here we are. And she goes, uh, you know, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, I'm going to let the kids lie as much as they want to get out of a situation. And I'm like, okay. Like, I, I see what you're doing there. Like, that can make sense. Like, being straightforward all the time, like, obedience is tricky sometimes. Right? You think about as a parent, what should I expose my kids to? What should I allow them to do? Right? I mean, there's all kinds of different reasons why obedience isn't always as straightforward as just like, yep, you got to do the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing is hard to know. Right? Rahab had a decision. Ultimately, she went with the, I'm going to trust that if I lie and risk my own life, that the Lord can do something through this. Sometimes we have to just make a decision and say, God, I think you're asking me to do this. I'm going to trust you in that and see what happens. And that's what Rahab does. And ultimately, God um, saves her and her whole family through rescuing by, obe- by obeying the Lord and by trusting his, uh, his commands that he is going to free this people. Number two, sometimes obedience can be not only confusing, but it can be clear and confusing. All right, let's go to chapter six. In chapter six, um, you've got the jo- Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, kind of famous story if you grew up in kids' church, and there's a nice little song, and you can sing it later if you want. But you've got this really crystal clear instruction from the Lord. This is what I want you to do. And it's literally as clear as like, hey, next Tuesday, I need you to do this. On Wednesday, I need you to do this. On Thursday, I need you to do this. It's crystal clear. He says, for seven days, I want you to walk and march around this city with your army. And on the seventh day, what are you going to do? You're going to march around it how many times? You guys did not do Sunday school. Seven times on the seventh day, right? Very clear instruction. What's unclear is why. Like, this seems so unnecessary to me. Like, if I'm Joshua, you're like, this is so much effort. Like, can't you just, like, let the people go? Like, can't you just, I don't know, bring a big wind and collapse the walls? Like, do we really need to go all the way around the city once a day for seven days? Like, this seems really silly to me. Or how about the even, like, heavier issue of, You're going to march around the city once a day for seven days, and then on the seventh day, seven times, and then everyone's going to die. How about like, Lord, couldn't you just like let them all escape and run away to another land? Like, wouldn't that feel a little easier? You know, you think about all the movies that are out now, like, God, couldn't you just like conjure up some like heinous dragon that could come in and just scare the people and run away? Dragons aren't real, but God can make one. There you go. Like, you come up with all these questions, but God has a very clear instruction. This is what I want you to do. But we don't always know the why, right? We, and sometimes it leaves us with, with doubt. It leaves us with confusion. And it can leave us with pause about whether or not we want to follow what God wants us to do. Because how many of us, if we were to be honest, have gone through seasons of our life where we know God wants me to do something, whatever that something is, Yet what we're afraid of is the why, or we're afraid of the aftermath, right? I want you to switch careers. Man, but what's going to happen to my family, right? I want you to end a relationship. But man, there's so many close ties here with other people, right? I want you to pursue a new opportunity. I want you to lead here. I want you to serve here. But what is that going to do to my free time, right? I mean, there's so many different things that the invitation is clear, but the, the repercussion is not so clear, 
Right? We, we think about this in the church world right now, and this is a conversation I have with multiple pastors all the time, and not primarily about our church, but it's, it's everywhere in America. The invitation in Scripture to come to church every single week to belong to a local body is crystal clear. Like, no one's arguing that the Bible does not say, do not forsake the regular gathering. Right? Like, the Bible is clear on that. But what people want to do is they want to say, well, maybe it's not that important. Maybe I've got my small group, and maybe I can watch Stephen Furtick online, or maybe I can do whatever. And so, man, the church is really struggling because the invitation is clear, but we wrestle with, yeah, I don't know if it's really that important. All right, how about the spiritual disciplines? Right, the, the invitation is super clear. Read your Bible every day, like God says it to Joshua. Meditate on this day and night, right? How about, like, go for a season or a day Without eating, I want you to practice fasting. But that, again, invitation super clear. What we do in our minds, yeah, I don't know if it's that important. I don't, it seems weird. Like, why would God do that? Like, why would God invite me to do that? I'm just going to kind of do my own thing over here. And, and God's gracious and he's merciful and he's kind. Again, sometimes the invitation's crystal clear. The application is not so clear. We see this culturally in one of the bigger issues that just comes up all over the place in the sexual ethic, right? Like the Bible's crystal clear. One biological man, one biological woman in union through marriage forever. One commitment, right? But our culture wants to say, even Christians at times, the Bible's clear, but I have all these other thoughts and feelings about everything, right? I don't know why God would do that. I don't know why God would want us to march around seven times, Again, invitation super clear. Application, sometimes we don't like all the answers. But why? Why did God do that? I think sometimes God does things like, hey, I want you to march around seven times just to see if we'll obey. Right? Just to see. If I don't know all the answers, am I still going to obey the invitation? And that's what we see in the book of Joshua. For seven days, they're going to march around. On the seventh day, they do seven times. They blow the trumpets. Everything collapses. And God is faithful to what he said he would do, even if it feels ridiculous to us. Point number three, obedience can be elusive, even with good intentions. In chapter nine, we're going to get to a story that in some ways just seems a little unfair in my mind. It's a story where um, here's Joshua, they're, they're, they've just conquered Jericho, and there's this, this tribe called the Gibeonites, and, and they hear of the conquering of Jericho, and they hear of this nation of Israel, and they hear of like their escape from Egypt. And so what do they do? They, they're afraid. They're afraid that Joshua and his people are going to conquer them. So they say, hey, let's get out ahead of this. Let's, um, let's put on dirty clothes. Let's say that we're from a far off land. And let's tell the people of Joshua, let's tell them, we've heard of your God and we want to join you. Right? We, we will, we will you know, collaborate with you. We'll even be your slaves. We'll be your servants. But we just, we want to follow and love your God. And what does Joshua do? He, he's like, yeah, that seems reasonable. Why not? Like, it seems like a reasonable story, and he forgets to consult the Lord. Which, again, seems straightforward. Like, it doesn't seem like a big deal in that moment. Like, the story seems like it pencils out. Chapter 9, verse 14. Listen to this. Listen to what it says. It says, The men took some of the provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. God told them not to do that with anyone in the land, 
And Joshua just kind of had this relapse moment of, hey, I've got good intentions. They seem like they want to join us, but he didn't seek the Lord on it. Right? How often is it in our lives that when we have a decision that needs to be made, that we just kind of you know, figure it out on our own? Right? Oh, oh, this is in front of me. I can figure this out. And maybe we're not as quick to go to the Lord as we ought to be. God, help me in this. Help me make this decision. You know, I've got, I've got some company decisions that need to be made. I've got some workspace drama that I'm in the middle of. And sometimes we try to figure it all out on our own, like Joshua here. And it came with consequences. When what we ought to do is come to the Lord first. Number four, most of the time, maybe all the time, obedience is hard. Right? You think about this command that God gives Joshua and and I think about the relationship God had with Joshua, and sometimes I envy it. Sometimes I'm like, man, that would be so great to have the Lord say, on Tuesday, I need you to do this, and on Thursday, on this, and next week, this time of day, I'm going to go, and you're going to do this. Like, that feels pretty nice. But in that same thread, we're going to see God say over and over and over to Joshua, he's going to say, hey, Joshua, you've got to be strong. You've got to be courageous, because this isn't going to be easy. Like, it's not going to be easy to meditate on my word day and night. It's not going to be easy to not turn to the left or turn to the right. Like, you've got to hold on to me because obedience is hard. Listen, in that opening paragraph in chapters, chapter 1, 1 through 9, we read these words, Be strong and courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. You know how hard it is sometimes in life when we have something in front of us that the, the ask of obedience is clear, but we don't know the result. It can bring a lot of fear, right? Because the unknown is scary. But God's going to tell Joshua, I'm with you. And God's going to say the same thing to you and I. I am with you. I am with you. Like when you're going through a season where you're, man, like you're not sure what's going to happen to our economy, right? You're not sure what's going to happen to your employment. You're not sure where you are in your relationship right now. Like God's saying, hey, be strong, be courageous. I will be with you. Just seek me through this. There may be seasons of hardship. Absolutely. You have to believe that Joshua had some casualties along the way, right? But God's saying, I'm with you. Hold your head up high. Be with me. I will be with you. Be strong. Man, we need to hear that word. But then here comes the hard part. What's Joshua going to be strong in? Right? The whole first half of this book is God saying, Joshua, hey, be strong as you annihilate all the people of this land. And we're going to read that this week. And, you know, it's interesting that... um, pre-service, we were going through the run-through, and we threw up that picture of Millie, the little baby, uh, Gary's baby that was born, and, and it was in the wrong order, in the order of service, and it was in the middle of my sermon. And you, you look at that, and you go, like, like, babies were killed in this book. And that's a hard pill to swallow, right? You, you think about all the people that, you know, whatever word you want to use, innocent, that God is himself saying, I'm doing this. I'm bringing destruction. And it just makes us go, God, what, what are you doing here? And who, what is your real nature and character? Right? As Joshua is clearing out this land, like, is this really a story that I want to tell my neighbor? Hey, come to church with me. We're going to learn about slaughtering innocent people. Like, that's harsh. Feel, it's brutal. What do we do with that? Who is this God? Is it the same God? 
As we get into the book of Joshua, as you're going to read this week, you are going to read a lot of stories. And as you look at different commentators, even if you um, watch the video on the Bible Project, which we sent out in our Friday Focus, which are really, really helpful kind of summary videos, I would encourage you, if you're not watching those, um, first of all, if you're not getting them, you know, you can subscribe to our, our weekly email, do that online. But watch these videos, they're really helpful. But in this video, they talk about the, the story of Joshua, and, and you'll read different commentators talk about this, and they'll say things like, Well, the annihilation of all the Canaanites in the land of Canaan, while it was true, it is also partial hyperbole, right? Meaning that maybe it wasn't just a complete annihilation of everyone. And they give good reason because in the next book, in the the book of Numbers, we will read things like, and the Canaanites were still there when Joshua says, and they were all gone. And so you kind of scratch your head and you say, well, if they were all gone, how can they still be there? Maybe I'm not reading this the way it's, you know, intended to be read. And maybe there's some truth to that. I think there absolutely is truth to that. But I don't think we can hold our hat and say, well, God didn't actually destroy people. Because all we have to do is go back a few books and go to Genesis, and we have to say, in the flood, God killed everyone. Right? And you think about what that's all about. So maybe it didn't happen in Joshua to the the full extent that we think it may have happened. But God does this regularly. Right? God sands one family annihilated the entire earth with the flooding under Noah. And you read that, and you hear that, and you go, wow, that feels brutal. What about the God in the New Testament, though? Like, here's Jesus, like God in flesh. Like, he came and, again, said things like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, summing up the whole Old Testament law, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he died on a cross for his enemies. But then at the end of the New Testament, Jesus died because if his enemies didn't confess, God's still going to bring judgment. Right? So whether it's Genesis or Revelation, we do see a God who brings judgment. Because in the very end, the same judgment happens. If you got a Bible, let's go 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, 7 says this. This is at the very, towards the very end, speaking of God who will one day come and bring judgment to the whole world. He says, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Jumping to verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Right at the end of the day, this is the same God who says, hey, if you rebel against me, not only will I give you life without me, which is what you wanted, but I will pay for your rebellion ultimately through destruction. And that's going to happen to everyone, which is why Jesus came, right? When Jesus said, I came to save sinners, he's saying, I came to save you from the wrath of God. And what does it take to be saved. In between those two verses that I just read, in 2 Peter 3, between 7 and 10, we get two verses, 8 and 9. I want you to listen to these words, and we're going to wrap it up here in a minute. He says this about repentance. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, 
that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In other words, like, why is it that sometimes God brings uh, destruction on people and sometimes he goes for a thousand years and lets all kind of hell live on earth? Why does that happen? He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The same God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament who says, ultimately, I'm bringing destruction, but I'm longing for repentance. And repentance simply is saying, God, I see you, I trust you, I was wrong, I need you, which is what Rahab did. Right? You think about what Rahab did, and you think about what God did through Rahab. You get one prostitute woman in the midst of all this Canaanite country, and she says, God, I see you, I trust you, I was wrong, please forgive me. And God forgives her, and God saves her family. He gives her a son. Her son's name's Boaz. He marries another foreigner, another Moabite woman named Ruth. Through the same family eventually comes the line of Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me in repentance. And when you repent, God's wrath will be eased. We have the same God from the beginning to the end. And in this book, we're going to see Joshua. Band, would you come on up here? Joshua is going to, at the very end, he's going to make one final commissioning statement. He's going to say something very similar to what Moses said. He's going to say, guys, we have a choice. And so I'm going to make this be our prayer here as we wrap this up and listen to God's final words through the book of Joshua. Would you pray with me as we hear these words? This is Joshua as he's about to die. He's 110 years old. It's in the last book or the last chapter, verse 14 of chapter 24. He says, now, therefore, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, in other words, if you want to do whatever you want, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Here's Joshua. He says, but for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. God, I, I want that to be true in my house. God, I get to wear the same name as Joshua. And more than anything, I, I want to be able to say that at the end of my life. God, not just at the beginning of my life when things are being passed to me, but at the end, I, I want to be a man who can hold my head high and say, through repentance and confession, God saved me. But for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. God, we want to be a people who serve you. God, we want to be a people who obey you, who hold on to your word, who chew on it day and night. And we know that repentance is the only path that leads towards the life that you offer us. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for that life. And God, we want to walk out of here saying, for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We love you, Jesus.
Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.